this morning we are continuing our series uh, called Myths About God and Faith. And I've really enjoyed this series as we've been processing through. It's been fun for me to think through these things again. And, and a lot of it is basically we're teaching through what we actually believe, but we're noticing and recognizing that there's a lot of misbeliefs out there. Now today's myth is an interesting one because it's actually one that is believed by more people, oh, you put it up too soon, but okay, that's all right, so you can see what it is now, but it is believed by more people inside the church than those outside the church. There's actually, uh, there was a study that said 70% of the people in, in America were surveyed and asked, does the church matter, or do churches matter, do they contribute positively to society, and 70% said yes. They said they believe that uh, churches actually provide some benefit to society, But interestingly enough, there's 30%, only 30% of the younger generation of Christians, so those who are like 35 and under, only 35% of Christians believe that the church matters, according to this Barner Research Group. And so today we're going to study this myth that says the church does not matter. And it's a belief that, as I said, is actually more prevalent among us than outside of our community. And, it's ba- and we find it when you look at books that are written like, that say stuff like, they love Jesus, they just hate the church. Or, I love Jesus, I just don't like religion. It's based on a lot of people's background. You hear often, well, they say, well, the church is a source of so much division and hatred and, and political violence and things like that that's out there. That the church, why would I care about the church? Why does it matter? Maybe for some of you in here, and for many people who are those Christians who say the church doesn't matter, maybe they've been wounded or hurt in their past. Something happened at the church or in a church that hurt them. Maybe they felt abandoned. Maybe the church didn't step in when they needed them to. I know for me, I was thinking back, um, growing up, attending churches on Sunday mornings was the extent of my faith until I was a senior in high school. But I think back to early memories, and I didn't have a favorable memory of the church. I remember once I was brought uh, to uh, a VBS. It was, at, I won't, it was at a church in Minnesota. I won't say which church, and we were there. And I remember going, and they had a cowboy theme. And I remember thinking, oh, this is really cool, because I was like second grade. And I remember dressing up like a cowboy, and I had my red bandana, and, and it was, you know, everything all there. And I remember going to VBS, and the other kids liked my costume, my outfit, better than theirs. And I remember them looking at me and saying, we don't have a bandana. And I still remember this memory of VBS. If they wanted my bandana, and, and the, whoever it was, a teacher or somebody, said to me, like, you can't have that anymore because you're causing a disturbance. And she took my red bandana. <laughs> and I look back now and I think, why was that, that when I was in second grade, I still remember it? I know it was only like 10 years ago, but, uh, <laughs> but I still remember that moment. It was one of those moments that, for me, made me say, I don't like this place. In fact, I hate this place, because they didn't make me ever feel welcome. And there was many, many years where I did not want anything to do with the church. I did not think the church mattered at all. In fact, there's a place where they take your red bandana. And I don't think I ever got it back, now that I think about it. And I know where that church is, so I may be going there on vacation one day and asking for it. But anyway, so today we want to look at, does the church matter, and why do we believe the alternate? Why do we believe the truth? Because the truth that we believe is this. 
We believe that the church is God's design to bring the message of hope and redemption of Jesus throughout the ends of the earth. We believe that the church is actually God's plan A. It is his purposeful design to bring the message of hope and redemption to the ends of the earth. He thinks that God thinks the church matters. He thinks it's relevant. In fact, so much so that when we say, oh, well, I love Jesus, but I hate religion or I hate the church, it would almost be like you saying, like, hey, Ryan, I really like you, but I hate your kids. Ryan, I really like you, but I don't like your family at all. Because God designed the church to be his family. Are we starting off too intense? Maybe I should start off with some more jokes here. <laughs> but this is so common out there that today we want to explore why do we believe that this is truth? And not only is this truth, but this is a truth that I believe will actually bring hope and healing to you, to your friends, to your family. And when you engage and participate and actually become a part of the church that matters, you will actually have a deeper, more spiritual, uh, beneficial life. That you will experience God in ways that you cannot without the church. And now I know to some extent I'm preaching to the choir because you're here this morning. But I know some of you are here and you're here very tentatively because it's hard for you to believe this. And so we want to explore that today. So pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you so much uh, that you walk with us in every part of our journey. And I thank you even for guys like me who still have a scar of the red bandana being taken away. Lord, that it pushed me away from your people, but that you found a way back. And so I'm grateful for that story. I'm grateful for what you've done in my life. But I pray for anyone who's here this morning who has a similar story, maybe some that are much more serious and intense than a red bandana, that, Lord, you'd bring them hope and healing. And God, anyone who's not here today, they've walked away from you because they've been hurt or they don't think you matter or your church matters. Would you bring peace and healing in their lives today too? So we thank you for this time and ask that you teach us as we look into your word. In your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 in a little bit. And Matthew's in the New Testament, about three quarters of the way through your Bible. It's the very first of what we call the Gospels. Matthew 16, uh, we'll be there in just a few minutes. But before we get into this conversation about the church and why it matters, I want to just define some terms here, because I think it's important that we think about the terms. Now the term, the, the word we have for Greek, uh, or for church, comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. And, and, and the ekklesia is this this term that now we say church, and in our culture, we think of it as a building often. But it never actually had that connotation. In fact, when it first was used in, in the Greek, Greco-Roman world, it referred to a gathering of people who were loyal to someone or something. And in the Roman Empire, there were whole cities that were considered ecclesias. And an ecclesia would be a city that was surrounded and gathered around their loyalty to Caesar. And uh, in fact, the story we're going to look at today is in a, a town called Caesarea Philippi, and it was designated as an ecclesia. It was a town, a city that was loyal to Caesar. They proclaimed Caesar as the Lord and God, and they worshiped, they had a temple to worship Caesar in this ecclesia. And so the term had to do with a gathering of people surrounded around something or someone. 
Now, the, so when the church started using this, the Christians started using this term. Actually, Jesus started it. He used it as, hey, you are my loyal gathering of people. That was the definition of churches. Those who center around me and who gather around me, that is the church. And so it started off as this kind of movement of people and anyone who declared the lordship of Christ. Now, the church grew in, in the first century, and so there's this one term of church that is this global term, and that's all the people from Encinitas to down in Cape Town all the way up to Toronto, everywhere across the globe, who have a loyalty to Jesus would be considered part of the global church. If you declare Jesus as Lord and confess him as your Savior, that you're part of the church and this idea. But there, all, <clears throat> excuse me, there also were the local churches. The local churches were the cities or towns that were loyal to Christ. We find that uh, most of the letters written in the New Testament were written to local gatherings of churches. It would be to the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi, the church in Corinth, was the local gathering of people. In today's terms, it would be more like Seacoast would be one of those. And, and so, uh, because we're not gathered as a whole city, but we are now the local gathering. But again, it wasn't referring to a, a building, but it was referring to a group of people. And that's how the term intentionally or originally was used. Now, all the way in the church was growing through the first three centuries of uh, the first three centuries. It, it grew after Christ rose from the dead, the message of Christianity spread, but it was opposed by the Roman government. In fact, there was a few emperors who not only did they oppose it, but they fought against it. You have Nero, there was one named Domitian, Hadrian, Diocletian, <laughs> you guys remember all this, right? So um, those are the emperors who not only did they not like Christianity, but they fought against Christians and persecuted Christians. But something happened in the fourth century under Emperor Constantine, and Emperor Constantine had this vision at the, in the night at one point and believe, started believing that the story about Jesus might be true. And we find that in the 4th century, he converts over to Christianity. And in 313, bear with me for a moment, in 313, he actually issues an edict saying that now Christ, you, you are free to worship Jesus in the Roman Empire. That's the first time that was made legal. It, it was not always persecuted, but it was now legal and recognized by Rome. Then Constantine converted to Christianity, which was a really cool thing, because then the spread of Christianity happened rapidly. But something else happened. As Christianity moved from being ecclesias, or people loyal around Christ, gatherings of people who believed in Jesus, and it became a little more in institutionalized. Institutionalized in the sense of now there was a hierarchical structure that went all the way to whoever was on the throne in Rome or Constantinople. Um, later, we even know that in England and under the British Empire, the kings also um, controlled the church. They were ahead of the church. It happened all throughout Europe as well. Now, when I say institutionalized, one of the arguments most people have against Christianity is they say, I just don't like organized religion. I don't like all the structure. I don't like, you know, that you have pastors and people working at a church and you have buildings. Now, please don't misunderstand. Biblically, the first century church had pastors, teachers, missionaries. It had evangelism. People contributed parts of their income to support them for the cause of Christ as it grew, as they ministered to one another, and as they took care of the poor and homeless. So all of that existed and is biblical. But what was unbiblical is when it got structured and connected to government. And the reason I'm telling you all of this, because this is part of the roots of why some of us have, have tr struggled with the church, because we look at global events. 
And because we've, then what happened is we started believing the church wasn't a gathering of people, and it started to be in big basilicas or buildings. And we started thinking, well, how nice is your building? Now, modern day is, do you have an updated building? Does your building look like an apartment complex in Encinitas? What is your church? What is the church, for example? <laughs> we do, by the way, have people show up at our office and ask if we have any rooms available. But, um, <laughs> but so sometimes we, we now think of church to be a place, a location. Now, I believe very much in the value of having localized churches like Seacoast. I believe in the value of all the other localized churches who are loyal to Jesus. In fact, I meet with a, a group of lead pastors in North County. We meet once a month together to study together, pray together, and to encourage one another. And, and we do that because we care about the bigger church, and, and we also see the value in each, each one's individual church. But that's the structure, that's kind of what happened is as Christianity became more and more accepted, it became more and more institutionalized. And then we forgot what the church really was. And it led up to the Reformation in the 1500s when there was a group of people kept saying, this doesn't seem right. In fact, a guy named William Tyndale made the first translation of the Bible. He translated from Hebrew and Greek into English. And he brought it to England. And you know what the church did to him there? They strangled him and burned him at the stake for heresy in 1522. Because they said, we don't want this here. It became so politically connected that people forgot what the church was. So today, that's the background that we want to look at. We want to understand what is the real church and what does that mean for us today? So you ready to go? Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I didn't realize it feels like I started very intense. <laughs> Matthew 16, verse 13. There's a story here. Now, Jesus is with his disciples, as I mentioned, in this region called Caesarea Philippi. It was an ecclesia, people loyal to Caesar. And Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, who do these people think I am? What are, what's the word on the street? Who do people, what, what do they think about me? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others think you're Elijah. But others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples that should, should tell no one that he was the Christ. So he said, okay, you, you know who I am, but the time's not yet to proclaim this. So here's in this little passage, we learn a lot about the church. So what do we see here? The first thing we see here is this. The church is based on the lordship of Jesus. The church is based on the lordship of Jesus. Look at what's happening in this story. Jesus says, who do you think I am? Who do people say I am? And they said, well, you might, some think you're a prophet. We're not sure. And then he said, well, how about you? And Peter 
who at the time his name was Simon, which that we're not going to get into this here, but it, if you like the little nuances, Simon means pebble and Peter means rock. So Jesus changes his name right there and gave him more significance. But we, we're not studying Peter today. But in this he says, Simon looks at him and says, I think you are the Christ. That means the anointed one, the Messiah. The one that all these prophets have been talking about. The one that all these people have been pointing to, saying that one day God would bring somebody, the Messiah, to come and take away the sins of the world and to provide hope once and, and redemption once and for all. That's the Messiah. That's what we believe. That's what we're waiting for. So he says, well, who do you think I am? And Simon says, I think you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you because this has been revealed to you by the Father who is in heaven. You understand what you see. And he says, on this rock now I will build my church. Now we could really misunderstand this and think that that means we're going to build the church on Peter. That Peter's the cornerstone. That Peter's the foundation of the church. But really what it was was the rock, this confession, what God had revealed to Peter was the lordship of Jesus. It was on the rock, on this confession of the truth that is Jesus. That truth is what the church will be built on. And, and interesting that he was in an ecclesia that was loyal to Caesar. And Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, my gathering of people who are loyal to me on this truth. The church is based on the lordship of Jesus. That's what it's built on. It's built on the, the whole message of the good news. What's the good news? That we are separated from God because of sin. That we're in a world that is not the way it's meant to be. That things are not as they should be, but that God wants to provide a way. And so he sends his son Jesus to provide a way for you and for me and for all people in the world to have redemption and hope and be reconciled to God, to have our relationship restored with God. That's the good news. And Jesus said it's based on that good news. That's what the church is based on, the lordship of Jesus, the message of the good news. For he, us here at Seacoast, we like to say that uh, we exist to help people discover life in Christ and learn to follow him. In other words, we want people to meet Jesus and grow in their faith. That's what we exist for. That's our purpose, because we believe that that is biblical. But we have a few statements that help define what does that look like. And one of them, we call them our three vision statements. One of them is this, and I want you to see it. It's we dream of being a church community that's a family of disciples being transformed by the good news of Jesus. We believe that when, if we are based on the lordship of Jesus, this good news changes our lives. It changes everything. And we want to be a family of disciples who are being transformed by this truth that Peter proclaimed right there. A church that's based on Jesus. We want to learn to love God supremely. To love one another sacrificially. But this is what the church, but it's based on the good news that makes all of that possible. It's not based on our uh, theological preferences. It's not based on how we like to baptize. It's not based on how we structure our staff or our leadership. We are based on Jesus Christ, period. That's the truth. That's who we want to be, and we want that truth to change us. 
So the church, according to this, is based on the lordship of Jesus. That is the cornerstone. That is the rock. That proclamation of who Jesus is. And if we get that wrong, we get a lot of things wrong. When you get that wrong, that's how churches lose their way. When it's based on the lordship of the leadership, or the lordship of their politi- your political preferences, or the lordship of your buildings, you lose your way. But when you're based on Jesus, you can stay the course. Because things change. Culture changes, but our God never changes. We must be based on Christ, and that's what we're committed to here on the lordship of Jesus. What's the second thing we find about the church here? So it's based on the lordship of Jesus. The second thing is this. It's the church is built on the mission of Jesus. Notice what he says. I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Isn't it interesting that we often think of, maybe not you, but other Christians, will often think that we're being attacked by the enemy and that we need to have gates, that we need to be defensive, that we need to hunker down and protect ourselves. But that's so unbiblical. See, Jesus said the gates of hell will not overcome, they will not withstand a church that is loyal to me and is on mission with me because I will build my church. And you don't have to fear the gates of hell because the church is offensive. It's on the move. And the church is built on the mission of Jesus. What's Jesus' mission? When he was speaking to the Pharisees and his disciples, he said, I did not come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. He said, I came to save sinners. Paul repeats that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, here's a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's a verse that was one of the first verses I memorized. I hold on to that one because I think like, if Paul was the worst, I'm the second worst. So that, that, that's how it goes. But Christ Jesus came to save sinners. What's the mission of Jesus? To come and save sinners. And the church is built on that mission. That's the mission we're built on. I'm so grateful for a church that reached me. I'm so grateful for them. With my red bandana scars, I uh, later on had other scars. I, uh, was, my dad was in the military, so I used to joke that whatever denomination the chaplain was, that's what we were. And then when the chaplain got transferred, we changed our denomination because we had a new chaplain. And I do, I specifically remember when we were, my dad was stationed in the Presidio of San Francisco, that we were Baptist one week and we became Lutheran the next because we had a new chaplain. And when the Lutheran chaplain came in, he, he brought this thing and said, oh, we do what's called confirmation classes. And I had to go to confirmation class. My parents said, you should go to that. And I was like, well, what is it? Like, I don't know. It's church on a Saturday. And I was like, that is terrible. What are you thinking? It's bad. Sunday morning's bad enough. Saturday too. And so I remember going, and uh, the first day, there was all the youth were in there, and we're looking at each other like, what happened? How did we get here on a Saturday? And... And the chaplain started going through, and I, 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 the only thing I remember is he started listing out, he said, you know, there's the structure of church and how there's all these denominations. Now, for me, being someone who didn't even know the story of Jesus, was listening to, like, I don't even know, what are you talking about denominations? And he started listing a bunch of them. And I was in the back with my brother, who also needed to be confirmed, and um, we uh, were kind of joking around, and we were, like, 
five minutes in, we were asked to leave. And which we were totally fine with. And we were like, sweet, we got out of that one. <laughs> and so we left and then we got home and later we found out that he called my parents and said, your kids are not going to be confirmed. <laughs> they are out. <laughs> to which we, we, we thought, well, fine, that's good, good. But so that was a church that wasn't reaching me. But then I moved, and I was living in, a, in St. Louis, and I, I, you've heard the story, but I went to an evangelistic event, and then later that year, that, but I didn't become a Christian, but then I was invited to this youth group event at the church. It was a scavenger hunt where you drive around the town, and, and, you, and you collect things, and at the end, we made this manger scene. And here I am, a non-Christian, sophomore in high school, kind of going, like, I don't know what we're doing, but this is, these are fun people, and the girls in this youth group are very good looking. So that was, that was really working for me. And... But I remember that, don't be self-righteous, it's a very good evangelistic technique. Okay, let's go. <laughs> there you go. But I'm so grateful for that church who didn't say, you know, should we invite Ryan or not? You guys who are in youth group, you go to school with him, do you know him? Should we invite him to this event? Should we let him show up? I'm so grateful that they didn't determine my current behavior to be what let me in or out. Because that church said, we're on the mission of what Jesus was, and that's to save sinners, whom Ryan is the worst. <laughs> and they invited me. They invited me to a ski trip to Colorado, which I couldn't pass up. And it was this process of them saying, we don't like the music you listen to, we don't like what you do on the weekends, we're not into what you're into but Jesus is into you, so you can come. I'm so grateful that they continue to pursue me. Why here at Seacoast, one of our other vision statements of our three statements is this. So we dream of being a church community that is a home for those lost and wandering in their faith. We dream of that because that is Christ's mission to the earth. We want to be a place where if you are lost, if you are a mess, if you are here with all of your imperfections, that you can find home here. We don't want to say come as you are as long as you dress like us. We want to say come as you are because Jesus wants you to be invited in. Now, we don't think this is the only place where that happens. We think that the lost and wandering are as we live our lives, we make a home everywhere we go. And we, need, we are missionaries who are making the gospel acceptable to people the way we love them. But let's be honest, people show up here this morning. You might be here this morning and saying, I'm one of those two. If you are lost and wandering with us today, I hope you feel at home. And if we do anything that doesn't make you feel at home, I apologize. We want to do better because we care about you, because Jesus cares about you. We are about this. We're about those kids like me who was lost, who want to be here. I remember after I became a Christian, I was in college, and I became a junior high director at the church. The reason I became the junior high director at the church is because the other two, the high school and junior high guy left, and I was still there that summer before college, and they said, hey, how about you lead the junior high group? And I was like, what does that even mean? Well, it just means we need you to have a pulse. I went, okay, I have that. So we have much higher standards now, but... Uh, so I ended up leading the junior high group. I only had like a year of youth group experience too. But I remember leading the junior high group and I knew right away we wanted to be about the mission that God was about. 
And so we immediately started reaching out. Our church was located in a very low-income neighborhood in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, so we had, we just, every youth group night was outreach. And there were so many non-Christians there. It was crazy. I had a meeting with one of the parents um, of a church family. They came and they said, hey, we want, it was about a year into my ministry. And they said, we, we want to meet with you, talk about your youth group. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was still naive, so I thought they were going to be encouraging. And so we met. <laughs> And they started off and said, Ryan, do you know what your problem is? And I was 19 years old, and I didn't, I didn't have experience with youth ministry. I barely was experienced as a Christian. I didn't have experience with being diplomatic with parents, so I didn't even know how to respond. And I just kind of went, uh, no? <laughs> like, what's my problem? And they said, your problem is you let just any old kid who wants to come to this youth group, you let them come. And I was looking at them, and I was like, we're getting to the problem. What's the problem? And I looked at them and said, well, yeah, of course we do. What, what are you talking about? And they said, our daughter is a good girl, which was not true. But they said, our... <laughs> <laughs> she liked the non-Christian boys who were coming, let me tell you that. <laughs> but they said, our daughter is a good girl and you are ruining her Christian walk by having these non-Christians here. And I looked at them, and I was 19, and I said, you know, I think the best thing that we should do is you should find a new church. And then they left, and then I saw my lead pastor who walked down the hall. <laughs> and I said, um, I think I just lost a family. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? And I explained the conversation. I said, I told them they should probably leave. And he looked at me, and he said, good. Now I don't have to do it. <laughs> and I was so grateful to have someone who understood it as well. We are not going to be a church that says someone is not welcome here because they're a little bit messy, because they don't have all the answers, because they can't look Christian enough for us, because they don't vote the right way, because they have the wrong bumper stickers on their car. Now we need to be the church that says Jesus loves you and has a mission to reach you. The church matters when it's based on the lordship of Jesus and it's built on the mission of Jesus. That's when it matters. That's what we're about. So one of our vision statements is that we want to be a home for the lost and wandering. The other one is this. We dream of being a, a church community that is a movement of people blessing the neighborhoods in which we live and work. What we mean by this is we see ourselves as a movement of people bringing the good news of Jesus to our neighborhoods, to our places where we work, to where we buy things, where we spend our time, here and to the ends of the earth. That's what this is about, and it's built on Jesus. And because we're a movement, the gates of hell will not overpower the church of Jesus. The gates of hell don't stand a chance if Jesus is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings and every knee will bow to him one day, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, the gates of hell don't have that going for them. So we want to be a movement of people who are blessing the neighborhoods and communities in which we live and work because the church is built on the mission of Jesus. We find that in the text. I will build my church. So what do we do from here? How, does, how can we respond to this? If you are here, and, and like I said, some of you are wounded, some of you have scars. Some of your family members have scars. Some of your neighbors have scars. Some of you are just 
dipping your toes back into even a local church community. You're just checking it out, saying, I don't want to be hurt again, but I'm, I'm willing to be here. So what do we do? First thing I want to invite you to do is to join or to engage. To join in. To meet other people. If all we do is come on Sunday mornings, that's good. But I want you to take the next step. Join in. Join a group. Even We have all kinds of groups for you. We want you to be known in smaller groups. I want to read for you in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. This is the first church. This was just weeks after Jesus rose and ascended to heaven. And it says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. So they gathered, this was their big worship gathering. And breaking bread from house to house. This was their small group ministry. See, it's right here. <laughs> they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity with heart. They were sharing life together. They were getting to know one another. They were walking with one another. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. Who's all the people? It's those who weren't on the inside. But they had favor with them because there was something different about this gathering, this ecclesia of Christians. Gathered around Jesus. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, it didn't happen if all they did was went to the temple. It didn't happen if it was centered just on the teaching of a few people or the music of someone. It happened when the church said, we will join in. We'll engage. We'll be a part of it. We'd love to help you take the next steps. And you have connect cards in your chairs. If you've been saying, ah, I know I need to take a step. I just haven't yet. I want to invite you to use that connect card today. And just write on there, if you want to join a group, just put join a group. And we're going to help you find that group. The guy who helps just had a baby last week, so give us a week or two. <laughs> but we want to help you engage and find a group. Just write groups on there. Interested in a group. Drop it in one of our boxes in the back. The other thing is this. It's in the next step is actually membership. Last week we, did a, we affirmed some of our elders and a lot of you had questions about membership. For us, we don't emphasize membership a ton, but we do believe that membership is saying, I'm all in. I'm a part of this mission of this church. And I want to be held accountable to it. I want to be in. I, I support what we're doing and I want to journey with people in the next level of membership. It's a spiritual step. I want to invite you to consider that. You can write membership on your card. So, but join in, engage. Don't just watch. Now, if for you, you're just returning, and all you can do right now is watch, you are welcome to keep watching. You're welcome to stay in here. But I want to ask you something. Before you give up and leave, I want you to at least take a step. At some point, if you say, I don't know if it's just not working for me, I want you to at least be willing to engage with some other people. Reach out. Let us know you're there. Engage. Join in. And the last thing that we can do is, it's similar, but it's a little more active. It's participate. Participate in the mission. Participate. That means join in and serve. Yeah, serve in the local church. We do. We, we always need people to serve with our kids and our youth. I want to invite you to consider doing that. There are kids out there who someone took their red bandana one day, and you could be the one who let them have it. And how would the story be different? I don't know. But there are kids who come every week, and I want nothing more than our kids to show up at Seacoast, and when next Sunday shows comes around, they look at their parents and say, get out of bed, we're going, because they love me there, and I love being there. And so our, our kids workers, our staff who works with our kids and youth, 
I just tell them, go for it. You have dreams, go for it. You need some money for it, go for it. I'm okay with that. Let's spend, try things. Our high school and junior high last week said that they did a big event in here called the Huluween event, and it was a Hawaiian Halloween theme thing. And it was outreach. I said, can we use the, the worship center? And I was like, go ahead, use that. If that helps you reach students, I don't care. If it messes up the carpet, we'll replace it. If we're reaching students, and they had four kids receive the Lord this week, accept Christ for the first time. That's worth it to me. That's worth it to me. So I want to invite you to participate. Serve somewhere. Maybe it's as a greeter. Maybe an usher. Serve somewhere. Don't just watch. Join in and participate. Some of you, it's time. Some of you, it's time to serve somewhere. The other part of that is, um, part of this too, participating, is also participate with your finances. This is not a message on giving. I don't want to guilt you into it. But when we talk about giving, we want it to be about mission. God has generously supplied for us every single year. But I want to invite, I want to challenge you to participate in that way. For some of you, maybe it's a baby step. Take a baby step if you've never done that. And see what God will do in your life. See the joy that you find when you actually start to participate and be a part of this ecclesia centered on Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up and read for you another verse as we end. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul's writing and he says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, we were separated, but in Jesus, God made a way for us to be back with him not counting their sins against them. And now he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. When we participate, when we join, when we engage, we can move from being the church that doesn't matter to the church that's making a difference in your life every single day and the church that's making a difference in the lives of your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors, and your family. With this message of reconciliation, the message that says you might feel separated from God, but he's inviting you back. There's hope. And that's what we want to be about. So as we end our time here today, I just invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you again for this morning. I pray, Lord, that for those who are here this morning with hurt, maybe with scars, wounds from churches that sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally brought apart pain. Lord, I thank you that they're here and I thank you that you are a God of healing and this morning I pray that you would give them that ray of hope that comes from you. And Lord, would you unite us as your local gathering of people based on your lordship And built on your mission, God, would you empower us to be the church that you dream of, the church that you said you will build, and the church that the gates of hell will not stand against. And so, God, we give you this time now, and we invite you to receive our praise as we end this time.